0: hey everybody welcome back to the third deck lounge podcast today i'm talking with uh joshua forsyth he was a corporal uh team leader designated marksman and point man with uh three six india company from 2006 to 2009 and uh he's also going to talk to us about uh his uh, veteran organization vets outdoors and uh yeah it's uh great to have you on the show man
1: thank you appreciate it man
0: Makes yeah. Me sound cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting better at the introductions. I used to I used to be pretty bad at them. It used to take yeah. me like literally uh some some of the people can vouch to that I've interviewed. It took me like I think the worst was like five times in a row I had to sit there and redo it cuz I kept messing it up,
2: but <laughs>
1: I've I've done the same stuff before. Actually made my own rap album once. And yeah, I can't tell you how many times I'd just sit in my room like spitting hot beats and rhymes over and over (laughs) again it's ridiculous
0: that's pretty cool um so so when did you join the marine corps and when uh and where were you from originally
1: i joined in 2005 let's see yeah i went to went to boot camp in um september in 2005 i joined out of brunswick georgia that's kind of where i spent uh, a little bit of a later time in my childhood.
0: Mm, okay. And uh, why why did you uh, pick the Marine Corps?
1: Oh, man. Honestly, I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. I had uh, dropped out of high school pretty young. Didn't have, like, the, the best environment growing up and didn't have a, a lot of mentors, at least not ones that I would listen to. So, ended up... Um, going for the navy i had a gd they weren't taking them at the time and um i was dating a retired sergeant major's daughter and had been for years and uh we like he taught martial arts and we did martial arts together and um i was over at his house one day and he was kind of like poking and prodding me like what are you gonna do what are you gonna do i had you know navy brochures out army brochures out and he, was, he didn't really pressure me for the Marine Corps at all, but um, he was actually a reconnaissance guy and um, did 28 years and as an Army Ranger in Vietnam and um, another 18 in, in the Marine Corps. And so I, I also he taught me martial arts. So he's like my sensei guy. And I just thought he was a badass. And he was like, hey, man, if you're having problems because you get a GED. I'll just make a quick phone call. And he did, and the recruiting office gave me a call back in like thirty minutes. And they were like, "Hey, this guy says you're good, man. You Want to come on down? I'm like, hop on board." And that—that's basically how I got into the Marine Corps.
0: Oh shit, that's kind of wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you went. So then you went to boot camp, and then uh, you—you you probably finished in what, like, couple same same year.
1: You yeah, said... I think I yeah. I was, Went in in September, so December, I want to say like December 16th or something like that. And then you went um, down
0: to uh, SOI, I assume, in a, down in Geiger?
1: Yeah, they gave me um, gave me like a couple, couple months recruiter's assistance and then ended up at school of infantry at Camp Geiger. They put me in uh, Concentration Camp Charlie Company, is what they were calling it at the time, and um, it's aptly named because we're a bunch of jerks. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah, that was rough back then. Man, got hurt in infantry school a few times, and I think everybody kind of goes through that in training. You get you get beat up pretty bad, and but you don't really go to medical because then you get dropped and you go back through the same training again. And everybody really wants to do that, just probably gonna end up even more banged up. So. yeah, once and done. Yeah, so did that. Um, took the um, took the recon doc. Got to go over to Special Reconnaissance Battalion for a little while. Um we talked about earlier. A lot of the the forming ways of how that was being run was a, a lot of guys were just, you know, training two or three times a day, doing land nav, doing classes, going through a little haze fest, do a little tank trail run, you know, whatever, and were waiting to go to school for anywhere from six months to a year and a half. So just decided to pack it up one one day with a big group of my friends and we ended up walking over or getting dropped off at three six and just walking into headquarters and being like what's up you guys want some riflemen and <laughs> it, was, it was it was pretty funny because the guy was like all right cool like you guys over here are going to kilo you guys over here are going to india you guys over here are going to lima and we're like okay roger that and like we walked out the door and all decided like which group of friends was gonna go to what company and then like went our separate ways <laughs> damn
0: <laughs> how uh how was it for you
1: Um, awesome, man. still, still probably one of the greatest experiences of my life. I've been chasing that dragon ever since, man. So I loved my job. I hated the politics. Um, I think everybody can understand when I say, you know, it's tough to deal with leadership and how that stuff affects you sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I uh, I think everybody, uh, definitely, definitely gets that. What was it like in the barracks? Of, like the barracks of life back in because uh, you got to the fleet I this was two thousand six now, right?
1: Yeah, I would I would assume it would be like a, a mental hospital with no security. because <laughs> that would be the most accurate way I could describe the environment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was wild. I mean, when I showed up, it was very aggressive. The the senior guys didn't like to mess around. They viewed you as a literal threat. Like, you're going to kill me, I can already tell. So they weren't real nice and happy to us and stuff. and yeah, they had to get locked on pretty quick, man. It was definitely a different environment um, from the reconnaissance side. They were they were also – I felt like it was a lot more action on that side. Like, people just – you know, you were expected to perform at a certain level and you kind of get, like, chewed out if you weren't doing that. But if not, people really didn't say a whole lot to you. mm. Um, the infantry side, there was a, a lot more, um, you know, showboating going on, I guess, which you know, it comes with the territory. There's some not everybody there is like a elite performing athlete in the infantry, but you watch some of these chubby guys be some bad motherfuckers sometimes, you know, so right, you know, right. Maybe they maybe they showboat a little bit, but they still punch you. I don't know, It's it's hard to judge. There's so many crazy people in the Marine Corps, man. You see, you meet so many different people,
0: yeah. You know, yeah but and
1: i i, I love the infantry man short answer <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> um and uh what would you guys uh what do you guys do for like weekends and stuff were you guys always uh just out in the quad or i don't know because it, it's really different these days so that's uh, it makes me wonder what uh two thousand six uh three six was like
1: we were uh we were surfing a lot we were um going fishing and going surfing a lot so, mm. um Onslow is actually, has a really good break if if everything's right. And like some local surfer dudes showed me that and I get them onto base. We go surf the base beach by the pier, go up to Surf City, Emerald Isle, all that stuff. A lot of the times on the weekends, I would break all the rules and hop in my car and drive home. (laughs) It's like 700 700 miles. I would just, I bought this like convertible BMW and I would take these back roads, man. I would fucking drive like crazy that's sick really dangerous <laughs> you know. definitely super lucky i never like went to jail or got in any real trouble yeah because because we, we were wild man i mean we we knew that we were going to iraq we knew all the time like hey in four months we're deploying so whatever time they would left us unsupervised was like 111 percent like
0: yeah i was gonna ask you so what was that um like leading up to your first deployment and uh yeah, I was going to ask, what did you guys uh, kind of do to relax on the side?
1: Oh, there was no relaxation. There was, uh, it, I remember one night we were like rally racing my car through a graveyard. <laughs> and like just partying with, we would go to this guy's grave. His name was Johnson. And we would just go party with Johnson. And none of us knew him, but it was kind of sad. He just had a name on his grave like nothing else. So we would go hang out with this dude. <laughs> Just drink beers and scream in the graveyard and, then like, race the race the car around the graveyard and stuff. And then we go stay at my buddy's aunt's house and like pass out in the garage and stuff. She <laughs> was a really nice lady. She lived in Wilmington.
0: Yeah, and because I, I almost wondered, too, how much uh, different it all was, too, since uh, there wasn't really smartphones or anything back then.
1: Yeah, a lot, I actually tried to get rid of my cell phone so they could stop contacting me. Uh, I got married uh, and moved moved out into Hubert and I was like living outside one of the, the back gates it's really really nice uh-huh. uh, but they they just call me into work all the time you know for nothing like somebody would you know smart off to somebody and they'd have a formation and they'd call me in and I'd like get to work and the formation would be over already <laughs> I'd be like what's what's going on and they're like oh no you can leave and I'd be like what like why'd I come back <laughs> Jesus it's ridiculous. It happened like two or three times a week, where you just be driving to work for no reason, because you get the wrong text message or something, and yeah, just very annoying. So I tried to get rid of my phone. They wanted to issue me a radio, oh. which obviously would have been what? a lot worse, <laughs> right? And I was like, okay, let me go back to, to the store and get a cell phone. They're like, yeah, you little jackass. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> is wild. Yeah. You can't I just tried have a radio, to put some shit, you know. Yeah, I'm like, uh, well, if you're going to issue me a phone, that's one thing, but I'm not, like, required to have one. And are like, okay, yeah, you can get a fucking radio. Jesus Christ. I'm down to supply? He's like, yeah, okay, all right.
0: I'll I mean, start. honestly, just as a fuck you, I probably would have taken the radio and just never turned it on. <laughs> I don't yeah. get comms with you. I'm sorry. Yeah. I've same, tried everything.
1: story. No comms. <laughs>
0: no comms. It all comes back Boy. to me.
1: Like, just triggered a memory in me man we had to when i was overseas we had to carry these little machines uh called the guardians Mm -hmm. the guardian or something and they were uh they were jamming backpacks they just basically jammed electronic signals we had like three of them they blocked three different ranges of signals they're basically is about the size of a, a like a window shaker unit for a house you know a little ac uh uh-huh. Box air conditioning unit with a little antenna on it. Sounds about the same. It's got these fans and shit on it. Heavy batteries. Yeah. We fucking carried these things around for months, man. We'd like have to cycle them around and stuff. And uh finally, some tech shows up to like do maintenance on them. And, like informs us that they've never been jamming any electronic signals. <laughs> at all. What? We've just been carrying this cumbersome shit. What was it for like? Months. Broken. Yeah, they just like there was some kind of connection issue and they weren't jamming properly. And he's like, "Oh, it tells you with like this light startup thing that it does." And yeah, this one's malfunctioning, and this one's malfunctioning, and this one's malfunctioning. That wasn't really the
0: worst
1: part. What? Though, like, <laughs> here, here's, here's, here's yeah. this little story like is almost like every story in, in the Marine Corps that I experienced. And it's after the fact that we found out they didn't work, we are then, like, relieved that we didn't have to carry them around anymore and still potentially be blown up. So I was like, right. like, all right, cool. Well, at least we don't have to carry these shitty broken backpacks. And our <laughs> platoon sergeant wanted us to carry them anyway. He was What? Like, well, listen, he said, now, if you guys don't <laughs> carry them, they'll try to blow you guys up. And, uh, I was like, well, if they, oh, that
2: is, (coughs) yeah, Yeah, that is an interesting point. If
1: you, if you you go through the effort of planting a bomb and potentially blowing somebody up and they show up wearing this backpack, do you think they're not going to try? Yeah. Fuck, just put, just put the button down. Or maybe even press it.
0: Yeah.
1: They probably don't know what the backpacks are. Yeah. why, Why would that even be the case? And. So we're like, okay, so we'll take the backpacks. We know they're not working, so there's no reason to put fucking 20 pounds of batteries in them and carry them around on top of everything else we got. Right, that's, yeah, that's, (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah, and so now we're still walking around with these jamming backpacks just in case this guy was wrong carrying these batteries. And it's just like, almost in a sense, it's like nobody ever really knew everything about what was going on so it was really hard to make good decisions man
0: yeah yeah
1: i think ultimately that's that's uh why as as they said when i was in all the good guys get out and then so they just have to deal with so much silly stupid shit and it could potentially kill you
0: yeah no yeah it definitely makes uh, a lot of sense um what part of uh what part of iraq did you guys deploy to
1: uh, our first deployment, we were, um, in this little town called Modique and, uh, there are a lot of little other surrounding villages.
0: And this um, was, uh, this was 2006?
1: Yeah, probably 2007. Oh, okay. Like end of 2006, 2007. I'm not real good on the dates and stuff anymore. Gotcha. Um, all kind of, a lot of the details, man, it makes me feel bad. Like I don't remember everybody that we lost, you know, and, I don't know, like, what that is, whether I just don't study these people's names enough or if it's just I didn't know them all personally, you know. I remember things that happened (laughs) close to home for me, but, you know, it's it's really surprising for me, too, to even talk to my friends that I served with. And we weren't together 24-7 all the time and how different our experiences can be, even just, you know, being one squad apart or one team apart or something, you know.
0: Yeah, no, that's uh, that's what I've kind of noticed too from talking to other people. Is that everybody's experiences were like so vastly different. So that's why I think it's like super interesting talking to each one of you guys and hearing your guys' stories about uh, everything you guys did on your deployment, just what uh, three six was like back in the day, and um, yeah, just just hearing like the history of it. I don't know. I think it's super cool.
1: Yeah, I I really like what you're doing. I think it's a a great concept. You know, like put the story together of this unit from all yeah. these different people from different times and you know and and that way people can kind of get I've, I've made a lot of contacts um just veterans like through social media people that have like found a picture that I posted or saw a video or something and it just might be something that's totally foreign to them you know I'm, I'm in the water all the time so a lot of people don't do that I miss the mountains, so when I talk to people that are, like, doing mountain stuff, I'm like, man, yeah, I gotta get up there and, like, come try that out, you know, I've never been ice-climbed a waterfall, I need to do that.
0: Yeah, that's kind of cool, that sounds cool, <laughs> yeah, it sounds dangerous, it's <laughs> <super good>. <laughs>
2: right, <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> well, yeah, that's yeah, all kinda, super cool, though.
1: Yeah, kind of what I meant from earlier, too, when I said, like, you know, chasing that dragon is that, I think you joined, I joined the Marine Corps when I was 17, I got out when I was 21, and so, for like in your formative years, your first job being an infantry rifleman and going overseas is, is, um, in a weird way, the most boring and most exciting job, like in the world. You know, obviously, everybody knows about standing by and that shit like tortures you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but, um, yeah, your job is exciting. Not knowing what you're going to do every single day is really exciting and it's really hard to adapt to. And once you adapt to it, and you come back to the civilian world, you get fucking bored quick. At least I did. I got bored really, really fast. Like, this sucks. There's nothing to do. Yeah, it's no, that's exciting, how it feels you know? for me. Yeah. yeah. And um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I went to decided to get out um because of some political bullshit um from our second deployment. You know, we we lost some people, and uh, you hear the stories now, especially after the HPA stuff, is that there's just no accountability, you know. There's people; people should be held responsible sometimes, and they're not. And I think lower enlisted people watch that shit happen on a regular basis, and you just can't. For me, I couldn't account for taking that risk anymore. I, I couldn't trust the people that were in charge of making decisions for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I got you. Uh, that's fucking sounds rough, but uh, yeah, uh, there's definitely people that we uh, did not trust that were in charge of us too. That we, uh, sure. always, uh, sat there and thought to ourselves, uh, if we ever go and do this for real, uh, this guy's in charge of us? Are you serious? And, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's how I felt on my second deployment, for sure. <laughs> that shit was pretty crazy. And, um, yeah, when we came back, they obviously were trying to get us to re-enlist, and, um, we kept cycling through leadership. We had, like, a good company commander. Then they, like, sent him somewhere else and give us some other guy. And it's, it's very, like, wishy-washy. And I was like, yo, if you guys are going to do something. And they were planning on going to Marja as well. So my my junior Marines uh, were the Marja Marines, you know. And I, mean, I carried a lot of guilt for a long time for taking a step back from that. Like, you know, I a thought a long time about, you know, not letting those guys go over there and do that with not so many people. The Fallujah wasn't really, like, dynamic combatives. Um, we were dealing with a lot of IEDs and base infiltrations. Like, people were literally sneaking into our bases and, like, executing Marines. Hey, so, so
0: so you were in, uh, was this your first or second deployment still?
1: This was, this was the second one. So this is what I was kind of saying. Like, the, where my mindset was when I got out was, like, that deployment was a Like For me, a a lot of, of failure in the leadership area and lack of accountability for when things didn't go as they should have gone or like our requests weren't met because people didn't take the time to really listen to us or understand where we were coming from. A lot of our leadership hadn't really been deployed until they were, you know, E7s, E8s, E9s, and you're not having that ground level experience like we are. You don't, you're not mm. stepping outside the gate every single day with me. So right. Got, I think we got it ignored a lot and it, it didn't work out to our favor.
0: Hmm. So when you guys went there, I guess, what was the whole, I, I guess, goal of it all?
1: Um, like to Fallujah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess both of your deployments. Cause I, we kind of started off with your first one and kind of jumped around, but. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty crazy, so I'll do that too. It's all good.
1: <laughs> but um, no, that was just kind of trying to get on a track to my civilian life of how I did that when it, when I got out of those crazy situations that I went chasing scuba diving and like mm. skydiving and kind of extreme sports, rock climbing. I went, I hiked across the country, I biked across the country, um, and it's just kind of like it's, all those crazy things have kind of made me realize that like oh, I just missed my job, you know? Right. <clears throat> that job is so exciting, and I think it's very important for guys that are in now and young veterans to know that, like, when you get out, you're going to have issues, and probably a lot of your depression is going to come from boredom. And, uh, like, this dude from Patagonia, that's the thing. My buddy's said it to me before, you know, is uh, the only cure for depression is action. You have to go out and do something. Yeah.
0: Yeah, like I like that. Really, I like that a lot, like, actually.
1: Doesn't really matter what it is, man. But you have to, you have to go do something. Yeah, do some new shit, man. And I think outdoor stuff is really good for people. Veterans have a lot of outdoor skills already, and they probably don't associate with them very much because a lot of your outdoor skills are like related to things that aren't fun, like being in the field and fucking training and shit. But you can get a lot of joy out of nature, man, and use use a lot of skills that. Like, I I threw, hiked the PCT in 2019. The, my buddy that runs the organization with me did the AT. And, like, we go out and we hike with people, and it's just kind of, like, very evident to us now. It's like, man, like, yeah, we have our military skills, but then, like, being able to implement those as a civilian just to be, like, a really good hiker that can travel long distances, like, mentally and everything, we're already set up for success. You know, it's it's actually pretty easy. It's very relaxing. I went out and I did the trail basically by myself. I didn't walk with anybody else. And um that was that was super fun. Probably the best thing that I've ever done for myself. I did it through uh Warrior Expeditions, the nonprofit.
0: That's sweet. Yeah. Yeah, that uh we can talk
1: about that though. But... Huh. Ugh, I don't know, I'm just saying stuff. Trying to stretch my back.
0: Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, that's all pretty cool though. Um and was that your first time getting into something like that?
1: Um, no. I think the, probably the first, like, big adventure I set out on uh, was, like, besides the Marine Corps. Obviously, it was, I think that's my biggest. Um, I, when I got out, I got an opportunity to go sail the Caribbean. And so, um, actually, me and a dude that I met when I was in recon battalion that ended up coming to the same college as me. And we took the same class together. He walked into the class and I recognized him. He was like, yo, are you fucking recon battalion? And 06? ish. He's like, yeah. I'm like, Oh fuck dude. <laughs> I totally remember this guy. So, That's crazy. Uh, I went, yeah. We ended <laughs> up making buddies with these two Navy guys that were EOD, like EOD divers. And, um, They had deployed and stuff as well. Like, we just became buddies. One of them owned a little 39-foot sailboat. And we got, uh, we were taking diving classes together and, like, research classes and coral reef ecology type stuff. And uh, this organization gave us a few thousand dollars to go sail the Caribbean and do reef research. So, we sailed for, like, 93 days all through the Bahamas, Lutheran Islands, Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, um, St. Kitts and Nevis. To this little volcanic island called Montserrat, and uh, this an active volcano it had uh, pyroclastic flow, which is a, basically a giant hot ash explosion that buried their city. And they were rebuilding the city on the other side, so one side of the island was smothered with ash, and the other side of the island was smothered with construction runoff. And we were going out there trying to show them how to set up booms and keep track of stuff, get ghost traps out of the water, all kinds of different stuff. That was that was kind of my my first real big adventure and uh, as a civilian and like getting out into the world and seeing different cultures that didn't want to murder me and that was really cool man and uh what what <laughs> year <laughs> yeah
0: what uh, what year was uh was that
1: i want to say probably 2010 i think this is around 2010 about right. okay
0: yeah yeah that's pretty cool. And then how did it get, from, how did it go from there?
1: Uh, We came, we basically did this like big long trip. We spent about six weeks in Montserrat. We sailed back from Montserrat and um, I kind of went back to school. Let's see. Just kind of like lost motivation in school, really. I, I stayed in school for like a little less than three years. And then I started working on dive boats and I was doing underwater photography and um ended up like slowly uh getting into parachuting. It was like a weird weird thing when I was sailing as I just started like i don't know I was like falling in love with the sky. there wasn't a lot to look at when uh-huh. you sailing around in the open ocean. But the clouds in the Caribbean are crazy. They'll climb, like, 40,000 feet tall. Over Florida, they'll climb, like, super tall as well. These like, massive, cumulus clouds. And uh, I was interested in climbing, and I was, like, just, like, fantasizing with my buddy one day, and just run out of so many things to talk to on the open ocean about, like, figuring out a way to connect to water vapor so you could, like, mountain climb in clouds and, like, what that would consist of. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and, uh, right. Yeah, and just silly ideas and... I just, I don't know, I guess one day I was just kind of like, I guess, like, the only way you could really do it is, is parachuting, you know, so. Um, and I really wanted to jump and dive the whole time I was I was in the service, and I never got the chance. So that was kind of, like, my focus when I got out. Mm. But, yeah, the sailing trip made me want to jump, and I get, it took me a couple of years, but I got into skydiving, and I got offered a job um, at Skydive Key West in the Florida Keys, like, packing the tandem parachutes for them, and I would, I'd pack, like, ten to twenty parachutes a day and I'd get to jump once or twice a day for free. And that was that was pretty good. Yeah, that is kind of sick. Yeah. Yeah, decent decent money doing it. Made a few hundred jumps in a really beautiful place with a tiny landing area. So I got to build my skills up really quick and I went and traveled around um about four more years. Huh um, I've worked worked around Florida and Texas, Colorado, California, ended up in Hawaii. And um was running um running a skydiving business in Hawaii uh, for a guy that I didn't really get along with
0: oh and gotcha. I
1: saw, yeah, crawl all kinds of crazy stories with that too you know, just plane crashes and people dying and stuff oh shit yeah, <laughs> yeah, wild I was never in a plane crash, and I didn't die right there were, uh, there were there were others
0: <laughs> oh jeez, um. And uh how was transitioning for for you? I guess when uh when when you're getting out and then just during this time, how was uh, adjusting?
1: Um I would say at first I thought I was totally fine. Like probably the first 6 months to a year, like I felt completely unaffected um but i think it just took me time to realize that like i was living at a, on a very intense level like compared to m- most people like you want to think about it like a frequency like i was on a much higher frequency like i'm just hyper aware all the time very intense and like it, i think that just rubs a lot of people the wrong way so i found myself having a lot of issues after a while especially with people um, at work, I would like have people be disrespectful to me at work. I'd, the first job that I had when I got out was, um, I was, uh, waiting tables at Outback Steakhouse. and that was probably the worst decision I could have possibly made. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I had like this guy, like insult me one night at a table and the guy basically just like told him like, ah, man. We lived in a lawless world. I'd just like murder you. <laughs> like, what the fuck? The like, yeah, no, just like, you know, like, like. Sounds audacious. like he's probably
0: uh, yeah. It sounds like he's probably crazy, dude.
1: <laughs> yeah, he ba- he basically just um, I was working with my ex-wife at the same at at the time at Outback Steakhouse, and she had like while I was talking to this family, um, they told me they they were tripping on acid during the dinner and like they were just acting super weird and the and the father said something like inappropriate to my ex-wife and i was just kind of like oh man like here you are feeling very safe in your world you know but like that's a delusion because if i were to be a crazy person like you and think i could just treat anybody like i wanted to like i could i could just erase you from the planet it was just like this big ugly fat guy sorry yeah i want to be just unhealthy nasty person bad attitude and it rubbed me the wrong way and i remember my boss talking to me and he was a really nice guy and he really liked me and he brought me in the back office and sat me down and the only thing he asked me is is it war stuff is it war stuff and i said what and he was like like are you okay is it is it war stuff and i remember just being like the fuck is this guy talking about? Yeah, just, I mean, like what the insult- fuck? Yeah, what kind of question? Like, insulted <laughs> my wife in front of me and like a bunch of people, and yeah, basically I told him I could murder him. But, like, whatever, like I could, you know. And I look back at that now and just think about like how crazy that is to say to somebody, like yeah. from <laughs> my perspective, and and from his per- perspective, sure he's an idiot. Maybe they are on drugs at Outback Steakhouse having a family dinner, which is fucking weird whatever i don't know (laughs) the whole situation was just strange but yeah i think my manager from outback steakhouse could see right through me that i couldn't disconnect myself from this world and that like the main thing i've felt upset me as a marine you know and this and you don't get to talk to me that way people stand at fucking parade rest when they talk to me blah 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 you know like whatever narrative I was living in, I was like, I'm no longer in that world. You know, it would have been way easier for me to like turn around and walk away and quit Outback Steakhouse. Like, why would I put myself in this situation? This is stupid. You know, way too many skills (laughs) to go work at Outback Steakhouse. I'm just going to go to school and work at Outback Steakhouse. No wonder I was falling into a depression.
0: (laughs) Right. Pretty
1: pretty straightforward. If you want to analyze yourself a little bit more, but yeah. Yeah. And, (laughs) <laughs> a couple of good stories to get a rundown on how you know it'd be crazy as fuck when you get out of the marine corps
0: yeah yeah no, i'm for me i just went to college but dealing with that it's had its own fucking things that pissed me off about it but yeah it's definitely uh dealing with people is uh difficult when you get out
1: yeah so, i went to florida keys community college for diving sciences and marine biology the average class size uh at that school is eleven students, oh shit, okay, And I was basically sitting in class with you know eighteen year old trust fund babies, you know one of the kids in the class, his dad had a private jet and he was like flying people out to different fancy homes here and there and I was kind of like, oh, that's I've never heard of that. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's weird. cool. You know, and getting, yeah. And, Do you want to go? And I remember like being asked and being like, no, that's not me, man. Like, I guess now it sounds pretty cool. Maybe I could have gone on some private jet trips, but yeah. i having a weird Marine Corps mentality, being a grunt, even back then getting out of school, man. I was just like, I was still in it. You know, I think I have the desire to still be in it now. I think back then I like definitely viewed myself as like probably only just taking a break from the Marine Corps.
0: Yeah, no, was
1: not the reality. So,
0: what uh, what helped you?
1: Man, um, probably definitely I I would say, um, making sure you don't get yourself like in isolation is probably the most important thing and just do just doing stuff you know like i hung out with a lot of different people some of them were bad influences some of them were good influences but i've always like every year i've tried to have some kind of adventure planned like i'm gonna go somewhere and go do something like i traveled around i did the sailing trip basically like the first year that i was out um in the marine corps and in school did that basically set it up as an independent study, so I was going to school while I was doing the sailing trip.
0: Oh, that's kind of sick. Um,
1: yeah, the next year, I did a rock climbing trip that kind of ended with me getting certified in skydiving. Um, the next year, I did a lot of diving. I traveled around the Caribbean um, in school, learning reef research and kind of the more professional side of diving. Um, then I went and traveled around skydiving, I uh, worked in Key West for a while. Uh, I ended up in, in Hawaii. I had a skydiving accident. Pretty bad injury. Uh, dislocated my shoulder. I've had surgery. It's been messed up for a long time. But um, I've just kind of, yeah, i am just trying to keep myself busy, man, and something to do. So I've done those things. I've, I've been married twice. Uh since the marine corps i got got divorced from the Sergeant Major's daughter uh, <clears throat> a few years after I got out. That was a crazy story. Um, she We had kind of a little a little bit of a nasty breakup, and um it's unfortunate uh we We kind of chatted up every now and then now and just kind of I guess kind of chalk it up to being young and crazy and not really knowing how to get along with each other. Yeah, but a good a good person and a good family, and they helped me out a lot when I'm when I was younger.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then uh, so do you still do these like uh yearly? Like you year, just going and doing something cool?
1: Yeah, i guess I did the after I got that second divorce, um, I left Hawaii and kind of decided to hang up my hat my skydiving career due to the injury. So I did the I did the PCT and my buddy my buddy Bridger is the president of the Veteran Outdoor Alliance um which is what we do. Uh he did the AT through him like a few years ago and he was like, "Bro, you can probably just hear. You've been listening to me bitch for years. I think I probably just just knew it would be good for me and told me to contact Warrior Expeditions and I went and did the PCT. And it's like 2,600-something official miles. Uh, It's the heaviest snow year on record, 700 miles straight. No trail snow through the High Sierras.
0: Jeez.
1: um, It took six months. Um, I think out of the group of people that did it, only two of us walked the trail straight through. Me and this other guy they called the Sugar Glider, a super badass dude from 82nd Airborne. You spent six
0: um, months going through this, uh, going through that.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that you said that. I appreciate that you said that because I like to make a point to people anytime that they get impressed by a feat like that. Because you spend your entire life like working, possibly serving, maybe public service, you know, all kinds of different things. People work their asses off their whole lives. And six months is not that long. That's six months now looks just like a short period of time to me and it was a, the most like profound thing i did for myself to spend 6 months with myself in the wilderness um i would say that that's really the first time that i was able to realize that i was carrying around a lot of issues and like putting them off on the world you know
2: yeah and, and- what, I what think it's the... crazy
1: that people don't take six months to go hang out in some of the most beautiful parts of the country that you can only access like by foot or horse. You know, yeah. It's incredible. Like I, you, I felt like many times I wasn't even in America, even though I knew I was there and cities were off of this side of the mountain and that side of the mountain. But you wouldn't, I didn't see a person for like 11 days once. It's fucking Jeez. Crazy.
0: That is actually, yeah, that's pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. I thought I was lost. I was like, uh-oh. uh, oh. <laughs>
0: i got so many questions now about that what were the temperatures like there when you were doing Uh, this
1: so you start out in the mojave desert so some days were hot as fuck man and there, yeah there definitely there were nights in like june and july where it was below freezing in the mountains
0: huh holy fuck
1: (laughs) yeah it was a a lot of crazy shit like and how'd you get
0: how'd you get food and water and
1: Okay, so you have access to the road probably on average about once a week between. So the trails kind of go through these places and there's like these access roads, you know, fire access roads, you know, you might pass like a public place where people can, the trails are more publicly accessed from a parking lot or a campground somewhere or some kind of state park. So there's kind of planned out that way. But I think the farthest I went between Like resupply points would be like 170 miles and And how how far was the whole thing again 2653.1 official miles (sighs) holy shit
0: that is far
1: yeah and that's i think a lot of people what's funny is most of the people that fail doing the trail or anything is they can't Stop thinking about what they think they should be doing. Like I should be at school. I should be at work. I should be doing this. And I, that's the crazy part to me is that like it's only six months of trying to relax. that's yeah. a big chunk of your life. It's a very small piece of your life. And if you go through life with a mentality that you don't owe that to yourself, at least that small amount of time, especially if you think that you could benefit from it, like that to me is crazy. That's pretty silly. There's no job that's like worth you staying miserable for years or a career and not taking six months to...
0: Yeah, especially, there. like, having loyalty, to to fucking companies and shit. I, I never think that's a good idea because the second something happens to you, they'll replace you like that at the snap of a the finger. They don't care about you.
1: It's, right. you know... You, you don't get a two-week notice when you get fired.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they aren't... Yeah. You know, you're you're, like, slaving away for them. You know, at some point, like... Especially if you're just constantly working and working and working. If you don't, like, look up every other now and then to appreciate, you know, just life, you get sucked into this, like, fucked up perception of reality in life.
1: Yeah. I I don't know, for me, like I said, I'm a little crazy. I'm not telling people to believe what I believe, but (laughs) I, I think the reality is that, like, the life that we're living is crazy and, like the normal life for you out there is not the crazy thing. Like the, you taking time for yourself to travel. A lot of people say they want to do that stuff. I've done a lot of it. And I've had people say, oh man, you're lucky or you're this or you're that. And I'm like, like, yeah, I have no idea what, like, Dude. On, like what's driven me to do these things. Most of it's been like despair or heartbreak or something. So I'll go take time for myself to go do something. And I do it very minimally. I do it on my bicycle. I do it hiking. I'm not spending very much money at all you know maybe 350 dollars a month in food you know
2: Mm.
1: so you're also going to be dirty and stinky and people aren't going to want to hang out with you but you get to go have a new perspective on the world and it's really good and it's temporary when you get if you get tired of doing something stop go back to doing what you were doing it's not going to go anywhere you know
0: yeah yeah no i uh my buddy kept trying to get me into, uh, mountain biking, I we're, like, states away from each other, but, in the chance that, uh, I end up going down there just to visit or something, but he wants, he really wants me to go, uh, mountain biking with him, and he sends me these videos and stuff, and he's, like, flying down these trails and shit, he's going, like, 30 miles an hour on these mountain bikes, and it's crazy to me, it's, it looks so, super cool, he loves it, and, uh, but, yeah, he, uh, he, he sees all these cool views and stuff from it, and, uh, He's staying in shape and shit too from it too. So yeah,
1: it's it's good, man. I'm, like, I think recently I I got into free diving last year. Um, I always dive in like head first when I do shit, and like I'll just overdo it. So I didn't even own a pair of free diving fins. I'm a scuba diving instructor for a living. Spend a lot of time in the water. Mm-hmm. And, um, I know I know how to equalize the air spaces and stuff while you go down in the water. So I'm like, ah, no big deal. A free diving instructor. Can't can't be much different. So I'll just sign up for this free diving instructor course. And um, so I'm, like, starting the class. I don't even have free diving fins or, like, proper weight belt or wetsuit or anything. And the instructor is just kind of, like, giving me an eye. Like, <laughs> all right, buddy. <laughs> you know, so I ended up, like, hurting myself in this course. I had a, I had a sinus injury at, like, 70 feet underwater.
0: Oh, um, shit. And, like,
1: For people that don't know, free diving is breath hold diving. You just do these relaxation techniques and breathe ups and hold your breath as long as you can try to dive as deep as you can whatever your goals are there's a lot of different disciplines in pre-diving so i was just trying to get my instructor so i can teach people something new put another feather in my hat and um had a little pop in my sinus at like 70 feet um trying to if you want to be a level one instructor you have to at least be able to dive to 99 feet underwater so just working my way down and had a little pop and it felt strange so I decided just to turn around and when I turned around the pressure went away and um, I ascended and everything felt fine and we were doing uh, these dynamic swims the next day which are shallow underwater three or four feet and swim as far as you can um, to try to build up confidence to go deep Um, that way you're nice and safe close to air still and um, I did like 165 foot distance and came up from that and basically like lost my vision and stuff and uh took me about three months to recover i talked to some doctors and stuff and basically nobody knows what what happens diving science and physiology is really weird unless they're gonna go like stick a camera up in my sinus they can't really tell me much Mm. Um, so it just took me a a while to recover like broke into cold sweats and fevers for like a day kinds of strange shit. So it's probably just like carbon dioxide over Yeah, over, what you know, is it? What
0: body. do they call that? Uh hypoxia. It, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've heard about that with divers before.
1: Yeah. So, so. i uh, did that and um everyone there was four people in the free diving instructor course and all of us failed. And uh that just sparked something in me man. It like pissed me off. <laughs> <was> yeah. Like, <laughs> Excuse me, everyone fails, and that's okay. He's like, "Yeah, we're not handing this shit out." And I was just like, "Oh, I'm getting that." Yeah, you don't, <laughs> you don't, te- you don't dangle a carrot in front of my face, like you know. And I was just like, "Oh, I want to be a freediving instructor now, dude." Like that's fucking. And this chick was badass, man. This her her name's um Allie from Denver. Fucking flies down from Denver and outperforms me in my own ocean in Florida. I'm like, okay, and I told her, I was like, that's, that's fucking badass, man, I'm like, I'm impressed at what you can do, like, how'd you get to this, to this place where that you can, you can free dive like this, and she was like, I practice a lot, and I was just like, god damn, that was a gangster answer, you know, like, just right in my face, like, there's no secret, fucking do the work, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was like, oh, i kick me in my nuts, all right, like, <laughs> <laughs> but so and then now I've just I've kind of latched onto that and that's been my new thing for me and that's that's obviously until I'm very excited you know and um so I got fucking heart rate monitors now and I'm the science I read about it I've been reading these freediving books and I freedive probably like five times a week on average I'll go out and probably spend an hour or two in the water just practicing relaxing in the water um and holding my breath and it's breathing techniques i think are a very very powerful thing and it's something that i probably would have made fun of for the last decade and now it's fucking super fun and super cool all the wildlife underwater reacts to you differently holding your breath when you don't have any machines or you know mechanical scuba diving breathing and stuff it's it's really neat
0: that's pretty cool um what um what what always interests me is how long how how long are you able to stay underwater with uh, holding your breath?
1: Um. Right now, I can hold my breath for more than three minutes.
0: More than three um, minutes! Holy yeah. shit, that is insane. I can go underwater can... for like I don't know thirty seconds, maybe.
1: I could probably teach you to hold your breath for two minutes in one day. Um, really yeah and probably three minutes and three days um it's just techniques and and practice and there's also a lot of physiology when your body goes into the water uh, a lot of things happen inside your body um that help you hold your breath longer your spleen releases blood red uh, red blood cells to carry more oxygen throughout your body you have this thing called peripheral vasoconstriction where your extremities will tighten and it'll press, um, blood into your vital organs. Uh, your heart rate naturally slows when your face gets wet. Um, it's like a, it's called the mammalian dive reflex it's happened ever since you were a baby in the womb. And, um, yeah, there's some other thing. you'll pee yourself as well to, to make space for your spleen and everything to expand and for your organs since your body's surrounded by water things like that happen and then it's just um there's these tables that you can you know take 10 minutes a day and make vast improvements and and training for breath hold just increasing your tolerance to co2 in your body which will like delay the urge to breathe that spasm in your diaphragm that makes you feel like i need to take a breath right now um you can actually train that back and over time like it just doesn't come as fast anymore and um there's also been a lot of bad freediving practices for a long time, which have gotten a lot of people hurt and killed. Obviously, you know anything about it. Shallow water blackouts, like the the main killer. And,
0: yeah, I've heard of that. And, yeah, shallow water.
1: And right before that, you lose motor control, so you can no longer use your body. Um, so and the blackout's pretty much inevitable if you're not going to be on the surface or have help. And mm. so I dive a lot by myself, which is the number one rule you're not supposed to break. So, in breaking that rule, I don't push the limits at all when I free dive i I usually do about a forty five second breath hold mm. which is which is now as I've trained that up to a limit where that's pretty much effortless for me i don't I don't even need to take a breath when I get to the surface I can just go right back to calmly breathing again
0: that's pretty cool like um. with
1: anything else, I think it's it's just just like Allie told me, it's, it's just practice, you know? And I think that's that's a good thing for people. That's what our whole nonprofit organization is kind of about is getting veterans together keeping people together, keeping people out of isolation, building a, a network for them to have as a support system when they need it. And uh, also, uh, you know, give people some direction and to like, go out and do these things. They'll make you feel better. Go hiking, go mountain biking, go rock climbing on the ice waterfall learn to scuba dive learn to free dive you know whatever learn to fly planes learn to jump out of them like anything like i had some guy ask me the other day he's like What well, what are you training for i said i've been training my whole life man i'm like <laughs>
0: i'm just trying <laughs> to whatever. train yeah
1: so, <laughs> so that i so that i can be better right now tomorrow later on today that i'm a little smarter or a little stronger or a little more flexible which i'm not I'm really trying to work on the flexibility thing too, man. My back has been killing me. Last yeah,
0: I'm uh, I'm really not flexible at all. Yeah. That's something I think I need that's to a huge on,
1: thing, too. man. Big thing in the freediving is yoga, man. Stretching and yoga and being able to relax your body. And I think since I've gotten out, I've had a lot of problems with muscular tension, and I think that's caused me a lot of a lot of pain. It's made me not be able to sleep well, all kinds of different things. So the freediving for me is is very exciting because I think it that's something that can help a lot of veterans and that's kind of um, anytime like I do a little race or something like that now that's kind of my goal I just want to use it to try to raise money so that I can when I meet veterans and stuff like that that I can invest that into those people basically like hey you don't have money to learn to scuba dive I totally understand that I've been very poor many times in my life and, um, I do okay now. And if I can use a nonprofit to help raise a little bit of money and teach somebody a skill that might better their life, that's, that's another thing that like keeps me going for sure. So I like doing my adventures on my own. And now I'm like, I'm just a little more motivated to do stuff now so that I can help other people. You know?
2: And
0: how many, uh, how many people have been a part of it?
1: Let's see. I'd say right now somewhere around 50 would be a good number for like everybody that's participated in some kind of event so far. Um, We started up in 2020 when COVID basically shut everything down. So like right after we started, we basically got 100% limited to what we could do. Um, so I actually, the, I think one of the first things we did, we ran a virtual 5k, um, for like veterans day. I rode my bicycle from Key West to callis Maine and set, uh, set the national record, I guess the fastest known time, uh, for that trail, uh, in 2020, we raised like a few thousand dollars doing that.
0: And how, uh, what was your time on it?
1: Uh, 34 days of riding.
0: And that was uh, for how far? How many miles was that between those two places?
1: Just, I think about three thousand something.
0: Holy shit! That is crazy. And what what was uh, Where'd you start again? And you you were going to where?
1: Um, I was uh, started in at mile zero at the in Key West, and I rode to a little town called Callis, Maine. And huh. it's right on the Canadian border. I couldn't cross the Canadian border because of COVID. Too dangerous. Run my bike across the country. Break a national record and lose 40 pounds and be in incredible shape. But it's too dangerous to go into Canada.
0: So, Jeez. <laughs> I
1: thought that was interesting. <laughs>
0: that is crazy. You, 34 days you were biking across the country. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. That is It's really fucking cool, though.
1: It's a lot easier than you think it is, man. Really? Yeah, huh. yeah it did. I think the longest longest day i did was 220 miles that took me right at about 16 and do you miles.
0: have like what what kind of a, a bike do you use
1: basic um uh basic model road bikes 850 and fifty dollar bike as far as road bikes goes that's that's nothing there's some of these bikes that people are riding are 10 grand plus oh and, jesus um, really so, so yeah just it was my first road bike base model road bike i'm not a cyclist or at least i wasn't a cyclist and um yeah, my first pair of bike shorts I ever bought—the little pads so you don't rip your butthole apart—like was, mm. was, like, was for this trip. And I bought a bag. I carried a hammock and a sleeping bag, like a pair of like wool pajamas in case I got really cold. A rain jacket, and you know, like my debit card and a GoPro, basically. And took to Instagram and just was like, "Hey, um, they're shutting my town down because of COVID," and you know, I work in tourism, so it was all crazy. Um, Max's wife was like super COVID paranoid. I think that like basically like was a straw that broke the camel's back for us the way that we approached that. So I couldn't, I didn't even like being at home anymore. So being on the bicycle and traveling across the country, it seemed like an awesome idea to me.
0: huh, oh, that's and, sick.
1: Uh, that was a year after the PCT. So it was like riding a bike across the country. Didn't really seem intimidating after like hiking through the mountains. Huh?
0: That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Uh, how much money do you end up spending, uh, doing that, for like food that, and stuff?
1: That trip probably cost me personally five grand. Um, like with the bike, the bags and stuff like that. Daily, your food, like you can eat pretty cheap. I drink a lot of chocolate milk, like <laughs> a ton of chocolate milk. Like if you if you know about en- endurance athletics, chocolate milk is a secret weapon. Um so I mean I would stop at a jiffy store and like literally chug like half a gallon of chocolate milk and, and like pump out another like fifty miles, you know. <laughs>
0: and you never did you ever have like situations where like just fucking weirdos were around you or something or people were trying oh, to mess yeah. with you?
1: Oh yeah. But I'm a full out crazy man. Um I'm not I'm not a big dude either. I'm I'm five seven. I'm hundred and sixty five pounds right now, trying to lose weight. And get the ultra marathon coming up. But yeah, I ran into some people um every now and then. I ran into three dudes one day that I just was chatting them up a little bit and they you know, they were, they were representing. So uh they just kind of like were telling me to like watch myself in the streets and be careful and I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm like 2,000 miles into a bike ride right now. <laughs> Covered a many streets. passing
0: through, yeah. Uh,
1: and I'm I'm totally fine." So no, I'm not looking for any trouble, and I'm also not worried about any trouble because I've been all over the fucking world, and uh, I'm fine. Uh, and you, you tell like, for me, most of the time when somebody is is trying to intimidate you, they're looking for a weakness, and they want to take advantage of that weakness. And if you plant a seed of doubt in their mind really quickly, that's probably the best thing that you can do, and then just leave it alone. Let yeah. them know that no, I don't want trouble from you, but I'll fucking accommodate that shit real quick, and I ain't worried about it. Yeah, and it's usually enough for a person to be like, "Yeah, I could, I could prove myself somewhere else with less work, maybe." You know?
0: Yeah, definitely. That's just it's always uh, it's always gonna be people like that. I was just wondering. I don't know if that was gonna be like a super prevalent thing that happened while you were riding.
1: No, Damn. I had a, like. Some redneck kids smoked me out with a diesel truck like five times in uh, Ty- Titusville, Titusville, Florida. And that was the day that I rode 220 miles. So I actually found them at a gas station like six hours later, probably another hundred miles up the road in the middle of the night. It was like two o'clock in the morning. And they were like chilling in the same truck in the parking lot. And I came rolling up and just acting like a crazy person, slapping my legs like, man, I'm feeling strong today, man. Just real strong. What the fuck? I was like, hey, man, you guys look familiar. Didn't I see you earlier? <laughs> they're, like, they're all staying there like oh that's the fucking guy from like a day ago what the fuck like yeah guess
0: what? that is pretty fucking crazy
1: i ride my bike farther than you drive your truck surprised like <laughs> so um yeah that was just kind of a funny situation and like i took that as an opportunity just to, like let some young kids know you, you never know who you're fucking with man this, yeah, this this sissy cyclist in his little spandex shorts on the side of the road showed up six hours later, a hundred miles later, in the middle <laughs> of the night, talking all fucking crazy in the parking lot to you guys and like, yeah, you're a bunch of stupid kids. Like you could have you could have actually hurt me on my bicycle and killed me, man you know yeah no. I, feel, I feel like i've done enough for my life and for my country to come home and be able to ride my fucking bicycle if i'm not in, inconveniencing you you know yeah and no for sure the thing is yeah people just don't know and you know people say that kind of shit all the time you never know the the path somebody's walking or you gotta walk in their shoes Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. like you never know what people are going through and You know, if you're a little kid that wants to pick on somebody that's riding a bicycle, maybe don't know much about bicycles. I didn't know much about bicycles. I didn't know I could ride across the country in 34 days on one, and like set a record and anybody would give a shit. I didn't even know I did it until I was done, and that was a the record was set by an eight man team before, that was supported, and I (laughs) thought that was so crazy. And they were like, they were like, how did you beat an eight man team that had a support crew? And I it took me like a little bit i thought and i was like i think because i didn't have to argue with anybody the whole time i didn't have to have a conversation you I, just did rode. I, wanted to yeah. I just rode my bike how i wanted to and one day that was 42 miles one day that was 220 on an average it was 100, and, 100 to a 120 120 miles in a day would that became the average after a while and that was just like what was possible and if you spend 8-10 to ten hours riding a bike you'll get that done and it's really fun you don't meet angry people on bicycles it's really neat the only time I felt aggressive actions were like from people in cars mostly every now and then somebody says something stupid to you like whatever mm-hmm. Um, but people on bikes I met so many fucking cool people on bicycles I met so many cyclists that have been cycling their whole life and they thought what I was doing was crazy like, <laughs> hey, you do have like like you have like a natural gift, man, and I'm like, I don't know. I just think I'm just took the time, and you haven't taken that time yet to do that. Like if you took, you know, six weeks off, you could definitely ride a bike across the country, you know. And how many times yeah. have
0: you had trips like that where you've gone uh super far distances?
1: I guess like the PCT, the sailing trip. I guess it's not really an athletic thing. It sucks though; it's pretty hard. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I guess the bike trip, the hiking trip. Last year I did um my first attempt at an ultra marathon running. I ran 73 miles. And um I just wasn't prepared enough my ankles couldn't handle it. So they kind of like seized up on me mm. after after the most I had ever ran before that was a was a marathon. I'd hiked 36 miles in a day. And so after you know that that was as far as my brain had really gone. So I I think I'm more than doubled the hiking distance as far as running. I know, mean, I went from one marathon to three marathons, so that's pretty good. Um, and I'm gonna do that that race again May twenty first, and I I really 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 want to finish.
0: Yeah, uh, no, I, I'm sure you will. That'll uh, sounds like you uh, are
1: very capable. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just fucking just going for it, man. I don't really care if I fail or not. Like, like, I think that's, you hear a lot of really successful, successful people, business people, whoever, like, that's, as long as you don't quit, you know, that's, you can get a lot of shit done. Yeah. I know, I know I said that right after I just said I quit this ultra marathon like, three three marathons in, but, uh, I also had to go to work, like, two days later, so I couldn't afford to actually injure myself on my ankles, I work on a boat all day, and I'm bouncing around constantly, so, stopped at the right time, and, um. Yeah, this this year I'm a lot more prepared. Mm. And, um, what, are you, and
0: really uh, what are you doing differently?
1: Uh, a lot more running, and um, I've changed it up a lot, changed my shoes, I've got some brand new shoes on right now that I just got, some Newtons, it's pretty weird, I don't want to get too much into the details of it, but really just um, eating and running that's That's the recipe right there, if you want your car to keep going, you have to put gas in it right so um uh, I think that's a big thing. people You don't learn this kind of shit in the Marine Corps. I feel like if we took a different approach to like the health of of young marines and stuff, especially in, and obviously, what I'm trying to work with now is veterans when you're out is um yeah, there's a lot of different techniques to learn the A proper way for you to run breathing techniques while you're running. You know, nobody teaches you that shit. You just suffer through it and either go get good at it or don't or just do it poorly the whole time. Whatever. <laughs> nobody cares. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, training for me now is just like I, I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of breath work. Um, I basically practice like only nasal breathing while I'm running. So I only breathe through my nose and um, I try to maintain that. and uh, as as long as I can and um I can pretty much do it all the time and that's kind of a, a heart rate type thing that happens naturally for you if you run breathing through your nose. It naturally slows your heart rate. It'll keep your heart rate slower over a longer period of time and it will really allow you to overexert yourself to a point where you'll have to quit exercising. So it kinda aerobically trains your body just by breathing through your nose. So I do a lot of that and I do a lot of um just numbers while i'm running so i count a lot i'll do pace counting Um i'll pick different places to run to to just stop thinking about the overall distance just break it up into smaller pieces and then um some and i'll just have different mental tricks like that sometimes it's music sometimes it's like meal time to meal time like i'll like you know be excited about my next snack when i get to about this time or this place i get to eat this food Ooh, mm, oh, i'm gonna have this <laughs> right <laughs> Like, especially when you're going to approach something like 100 miles, like, you're going to want to stop running a few times, and it's going to get boring. And so you have to do little things to, like, make yourself have fun while you're doing it. And sometimes that's, like, whether you're going to have gummy bears or, like, a pizzerito, which is pepperonis and mozzarella sticks with some crushed up doritos and a tortilla which is a delicious snack i recommend for camping hiking or any of your outdoor activities so.
2: right
1: <laughs> so.
0: that's all super cool it sounds like it's super cool it just sounds like you've lived a very outdoor kind of lifestyle
1: yeah man and i've also had a lot of fucked up shit go down in my life so i think the the reason i'd do these things, and the reason why I want to promote them to other people is that, like, that shit'll save your life. It really will. So, especially people that have a hard time, you know, everything in the world can be wrong. Like, you can just go fucking walk in the woods and just forget about it for a little while. It's nice.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. Sometimes it, uh, definitely is.
1: Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you climb a fucking mountain, and it scales your problems down a lot, you know? God, my fucking credit score is not that great. This fucking mountain's badass. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's huge. This mountain doesn't worry about its credit score that much. And, you know, I think a lot of people sometimes are like, I don't know, whether you want to call it the matrix or the system or something, like people are locked into these ideas that they have to achieve some certain kind of success level when it it doesn't really matter if you're still not going to be happy or you're not going to be fulfilled. And I think uh, a lot of people want to go out and they want to do outdoor adventurous shit. They want to learn new things. And they want to learn new skills and they have a hard time um, finding the confidence to do it. And they think other people have a secret. And I've asked a lot of people, man. There's fucking no secret. You know, it's just, you know, Yoda. They're, like, there is no try. It's just do or do not. You know?
2: Yeah.
1: And I think for me... I thought that I was probably a really weak kid, especially before I got into martial arts and stuff, especially after I went through the Marine Corps and I realized I think that was the first time I really realized I was capable of a lot more than I thought that I was capable of. And that just kind of started to pop those questions in my head of like, what more can I really do? Like, what, like I don't know what my limit is because I've I've never pushed myself to really achieve my limits, you know? i I remember i i got i ran a 300 pft when i was in him like like my second year i was like chasing down my lt and boots and utes this guy just passed away um fucking badass dude man huge guy fucking hockey player he's like six four had like massive fucking legs made no sense that he could run this fast at all and he fucking outran me in boots and utes and i ran a 1757 on like a three and a half mile course or something like that and um I remember people just stopped getting me for PT. No one would expected me to PT anymore after that. I would just be left alone. Oh, shit. And, like, people would just say, like, you don't have to go. It was me and the lieutenant had 300 PFTs in the whole company, and that was it. So they were like, you don't have to go. And I would go to remedial PT with my friends. I would go Saturday mornings. I would, like, go run remedial PT. And I think that people thought, like, you don't have to do that. And I'm like, that's how I got faster is, like, Doing a little bit extra work, you know, and it's not that hard. Running remedial PT, all the people are slow, you know. So it's like you're really just out there like motivating people. But yeah. Man, if you if you put out a little effort in this run on Saturday morning that you don't want to do because you got to run five times next week as well, well you're gonna be a little less fat when you get there, and you're gonna be a little faster, and soon enough you're gonna have your Saturday mornings free because you're not gonna be at remedial PT anymore. and like, That's kind of the whole point, and one of my buddies that got stuck in remedial was uh, actually like a, a really good performer. He just was a heat casualty on a hump. And uh, so they like made him go to remedial PT for like three months and he was a stud. So like, it was no big deal, so, but he didn't have a car. So we would drive back from his aunt's house from Wilmington and go to remedial PT on Saturdays, like <laughs> really early. And then uh, we'd drive back to Wilmington and go surfing and shit after that. And Everybody just thought it was funny. They're like, cause we were like, you know, we're at least fast runners and stuff. And that's how they try to break everybody. And we would just show up to remedial PT and the guy would be like, why the fuck are you guys here? <laughs> 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 well, they, they make Schwartz come and Schwartz doesn't have a car. So I had to drive him. And it's either I'm going to sit in my car in the parking lot at the barracks or fucking go run with you guys. There's nobody else here. It's Saturday morning. You know, and I'm going to stand here and look fucking stupid and wait for you guys to get back. Jesus, they make me feel like a huge vagina. <laughs> Jesus, but it's A lot of fun. I miss those days, man. And I think for a lot of veterans and stuff too, getting outside, going and doing cool shit with your friends. We jokingly call our organization, um, Veteran Outdoor Alliance, the broscouts of America. It's like essentially like that's our plan. Is I think a lot of the huge issues like suicide and homelessness and all these things, I think the root cause is really isolation. And that, or people don't have support, they don't have people to ask for help, or people they feel comfortable asking for help. And before long, they feel so disconnected, they can't talk to anybody anymore. You know? And so I think something as simple as going out and, you know, having a group of friends that you go diving with every now and then, you know, it doesn't have to be the same people all the time on some kind of strict schedule or this, that, or the other. Like, we'll host events every now and then. And then, for the most part, it's kind of like, we want to get involved with the VFW and like use them as home bases and stuff as well. So we can have a place to go hang out, meet up with people, have meetings and then go out and have cool adventures, you know, go climb this mountain, go climb that mountain, you know, set up an event, go climb Mount Whitney or something. A lot of people haven't done that. Falls mountain in the United States. It's fucking super cool. Yeah, that would be cool. We've done the decalibron loop for nine 11. Um, last, last couple years in a row, it's, uh, 4 fourteeners in Colorado and about an eight mile loop, um, really challenging hike, but, um, for somebody that's never climbed a 14 before, like we've had people come out and knock out the first four in one day and they're like, ah, that was crazy. I had no idea I could do that. And it's like, yeah, it's not, it's just like literally extreme walking. You know, we're not, it's not that crazy <laughs> just whether you do those things or not, you know, i think it brings a lot of value to your life you know And for us it's especially as veterans and as marines and stuff i feel like we're a little crazier than everybody else um just maybe about like our story and our history our club is the coolest and it's like good for us to like just be around each other man it's that's one of the coolest things for me about the organization is that um when people get together man it's an instant instantaneous friendship like right there I guess brotherhood would be better for it is like it's just it takes no time to start getting along at all and like these people just share so much common ground that it's 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 super neat and it's really cool experience to have to know that like I know veterans experience just meeting another veteran or talking to another veteran or something like that like in passing or whatever like it's really cool to get groups of dudes together and stuff, man. And yeah, um, it always
0: is. Every time I run yeah. into somebody and find out they're a vet, it's like, oh shit, dude, what what branch were you in? And They were in the Marine Corps too. It's like, me and him always. It's like, oh fuck, dude, what unit were you in? Shit, it's like instant friends.
1: Yeah, yeah, I saw some saw some old guy in uh, uh, Win Dixie the other day. I'm old as shit, you know. And he comes in, and he's got his he had like Marine Corps hat on or something like that, Marine Corps shirt on, you know, just full moto. i'm like walking around walking out of the grocery store and i said something like like i read devil dog," and like he just like like no hesitation he was just like simplify like just just yelling it out in the grocery store he didn't know where i was i saw him like kind of turn you know like where the fuck is this coming from (laughs) and i just like yelled out like do or die as i was as i was walking out the door you can tell like all these other people in there like what the fuck are they doing right now and like but me and this dude we're like we could take over the having a moment we wanted to like
2: yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) you guys are lucky we don't want win dixie right now see you later sir you know just like that's fun you know
0: yeah that's awesome um and then so and then so what are you up to now like like recently
1: just freediving man i basically i work on a boat
0: um, oh gotcha yeah that's right
1: yeah mm. so and i teach um i'm basically uh a snorkel rescue swimmer in the week um i go out on the boat take people out snorkeling diving and how many things. uh
0: how many certifications do you have now from all that
1: a lot I a lot them? Them. Uh, yeah I, I couldn't even name them huh. um but uh, I, I can teach whatever open water advanced open water wreck diving um i don't do any cave diving i have dove caves before but i don't do any type of instruction with that kind of stuff Mm. um i'm I'm a little wary about caves and everything
0: yeah dangerous
1: yeah i'll check out some in florida maybe but that's not something i'm trying to promote right now (laughs) um i can get you in contact with people if you want to learn it no i'm good i would (laughs) be interested but Um, Yeah, I'm a lot of weird stuff. I can teach um, rescue diving training and train dive masters. I'm working on being able to train scuba instructors, be like an instructor trainer. Um, I'm getting a free diving certification. I'm a certified mermaid instructor, uh, which is really crazy. There's a lot of people that are like into mermaiding. It's um, kind of a weird cross between free diving and like, I don't know comic-con people that like to dress up i guess okay. it's, a ni- it's a 90 million dollar a year industry which, really? is, which is pretty crazy it makes more money every year than all the dive gear manufacturers combined Jeez. So, um, what the fuck? You, you hear it and you laugh and then you're like wait what <laughs> yeah
0: that's, that's kind of crazy to think about
1: yeah so as somebody that does dive instruction like the uh, being a mermaid instructor can be quite lucrative you know and there's a lot of things that you can do you can have like You don't even have to let people swim around in the ocean like a mermaid. You can let them put on mermaid tails and do like a bridal shower, right, for everybody take pictures of them laying in the sand and have have a whole day and run a business like that. It's it's silly. Mm. Every 90s girl has a Little Mermaid fantasy, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense if uh, if that's the target audience you're looking for.
1: You probably weren't expecting that mermaid shit. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah no i mean i wasn't but I mean, it makes sense <laughs>
1: yeah, um, but uh but a lot of diving stuff i got a, a bunch of specialties from all from ecology stuff to like a wreck diving advanced wreck diving mixing gases gas blending um for as you go down you got to change up the air you breathe a little bit but
0: mm. and, and uh certified... oh sorry what was that go, go ahead oh uh, no, no no i was uh I was just going to ask you another question, but what were you? Uh, you mentioned something else.
1: I was saying, um, just like a whole bunch of different certifications. Um, so basically, I teach through um an agency called SSI. It's says Scuba Schools International. Um, I previously did all my training, uh, through the college in Florida, um, through Patty, which most people know. Um, in scuba diving, it's probably one of the more Like heavily marketed agencies Um, and i liked doing all my training through patty all the people i trained with were really good i don't think it really matters what agency you go through you find an instructor that you like that you get along with and that you want to learn from and just go from there if you want to learn something like diving or skydiving or anything else like that Mm, yeah. yeah
0: yeah that's all pretty pretty cool man
1: yeah, SSI is, is pretty nice, though. Anybody that's interested and in, wants to look it up. As an instructor, I have um, basically total freedom to, to teach people. So, like, in uh, Patty, as far as teaching goes, like, they have a, like, a curriculum. They want the skills to be taught in a certain order um, before you move on to new skills. And, and SSI, they let me teach skills in whatever order I see fit and necessary for the student. Uh, which is really nice. Um, I feel like uh, whenever people learn something that's a little scary to them, which the ocean is like, induces a lot of a lot of anxiety in people. Um, going underwater induces a lot of anxiety. Putting a mask on their face um, induces a lot of anxiety, and um, it can be very claustrophobic for a lot of people. So a lot of, from my experience, people show up. And we have to teach them how to take the mask off underwater and then put it back on and then clear the mask underwater. And that idea of them being underwater, even wearing an air tank where you have air in your mouth um, and taking that mask off is very scary for them. It makes them feel claustrophobic or panicky, like whatever it is specifically about that. This that makes people uncomfortable. So they show up, knowing that they're going to have to do the skill once they do like the book training and stuff. And they'll basically have quit the course before they even get there. They're, they're scared to take that on. So it's nice to not force somebody to do that skill. And that happens pretty early in the, in the Patty curriculum. So I like that just that one thing almost is the whole reason why I like to teach through SSI and I almost let all of my students do it last because they've passed all the other training at that point. They're a lot more confident. And then we've done some deep water stuff. I'll teach them how to partially clear the mask in case they get water in it and stuff beforehand. But taking it off is a big deal to them They feel like they're going to lose it or something. I mean, you can open your eyes and still see well enough to do what you need to do in the pool and stuff. But it just makes people scared. So Yeah. Um, I mean, that makes I, sense, though. Know, so. Yeah, and I I find it like so much more easy to teach people if I don't, if I say, "Hey, let's do this skill," and they're like, "Oh man, this is the one that I've been worried about." And I go, "Okay, well, let's just move on. We'll come back to it." And they're like, "Oh, that makes me feel better." And it's like I never push them into an uncomfortable place. And training, like I'll let you be a little bit afraid of that for a little bit, but you're gonna get over it. Yeah, at some point, Yeah. yeah, swimming around in the pool in circles underwater getting little bits of water in your mask at a time and being able to clear that for 15 minutes and then coming back to that skill, like you're going to look at it completely different. I've I've practiced a little bit of clearing so many times now that, yeah, I just need to do like, you basically just inhale through your mouth and blow a big breath out through your nose and just kind of lift your head up and let the um, air push the water out of the mask. And that's how you do it. Scuba diving underwater. It's not a difficult skill in any way. But people just don't know that and they haven't tried it. But that fear of the unknown, man, they show up and they're like shaking in the pool and you're like, <laughs> I'm literally talking about pulling air into your mouth and blowing it out of your nose. Like that's what we're doing. It's yeah. not, not that big of a deal, you know, but you'll watch people make this incredible mountain out of this thing that they don't know about. And like And I can't take my mask off underwater because I'm going to drown. You're know, like, you're totally not going to drown. It's like super easy, you know? Yeah, and if so, we're in a swimming pool in three feet of water. You can just stand up, <laughs> like.
0: <laughs> yeah, like how are you gonna? Dr- you're not gonna drown, dude. Like, <laughs> I
1: I got you, but you'll watch. I've watched people pay seven hundred and fifty dollars for a course and walk out of the pool and leave.
0: Really? Like, God. and you're like, that's God crazy. Damn. You know? Yeah, that is crazy.
1: So I think I think about those little instances of like I get to work with civilians all the time and see how like their fears hang them up, and then like. You know, I am a veteran, and I've met so many and talked to many that feel so similarly to me that you you get to see that this this person has a different set of fears that it's like letting them hold them back in life, and you know that that's a very strong person, a very capable person. Like there's so much that you can do if you were applying yourself the right way, but they let some kind of weird fear, social fears, whatever it is, fear of what people think of them. Or what they'll if they'll judge them or not this that and the other I mean I've been out a while now and I've had so many people say so many stupid fucking things to me that like insulted me or offended me or like were was none of their business about my service or just said I've had people say totally inappropriate shit to me that I don't agree with and they probably think that I do and mm. so I think that kind of stuff kind of it already makes us feel a little bit isolated from society that like civilians can't really relate to us and understand us. And it's really way too difficult to try to explain the military to somebody who hasn't been in. Yeah, I think that's, that's why it's so easy to be around another veteran is because like, Oh, it's just a lot more like, it's just easier to talk to this person in any way, shape or form. They, they, they've already, I don't know, maybe also checked a box that, you know, they've proved something of themselves already, you know, I guess how people feel about college degrees, like veterans feel about DD-214s or something, like, hey, you you fucking joined, you did something, you know, that's fucking cool, and I think that says something about a person's character, at least, not everybody is, you know, some fucking flag-carrying patriot or whatever, but, you know, for the most part, I think people that join the military, they do want to do good and they're willing to sacrifice their time and and provide their services to try and make the world a better place and and help people around them you know
0: yeah for sure
1: that's those aren't values that everybody carries
0: yeah no it's not it's hard to find these days certainly it's hard to find these days
1: but yeah man that's a lot of stuff bro i totally glazed over all your fucking deployment questions too like a donut Nah, (laughs) it's all good brother
0: (laughs) (laughs) it was really interesting though hearing about all this too it's just it's uh kind of it's kind of stuff that i've thought about because i've always wanted to go to europe i really want to go to europe and just go do things outside and see places and and even here, like I, I've gone, uh, I've gone skydiving before. I want to do it again. I want my license so I can just go and do it whenever I want. But um,
1: fucking, it's so easy, dude. So Yeah, easy.
0: yeah. I just need the extra money for it. Cause every time I get the extra money for it, something stupid comes up and just and takes all the money all right. for it, and then
1: I'll give, I'll give you the recipe. Here, here's how you get it Doug. Mm-hmm. Right. Any anybody that wants to be a skydiver, all you have to do is open a door and get out. It's fucking easy. (laughs) Uh, The way you get trained is you go on a little camping trip, man. Uh, There's plenty of places around the country. Like one of them is Skydive Z Hills, Zephyr Hills, Florida. It's basically like on an old military base. They have a huge bunker um, that's like kind of opened up and turned into this like kind of indoor outdoor shelter. Plenty of places to camp. People have a bunch of campers that they rent out to people there. So you just save the money for your training and go to that place and just camp and live at the drop zone. You don't live, you don't leave. Like you can bring food if you want to. Z Hills actually has a restaurant on site. There's a sushi restaurant right outside this grocery store down the street, things like that. But you just go stay at one of these drop zones for a while. I lived at one in Georgia for like a month and and did my license training like most of the time, I wasn't even jumping. I was like, spent two weeks just like based out of there while I was like hiking around in the mountains and stuff. So, huh. um, they're trying to kill that, I think, across the world as far as the, it goes. But it's kind of having ran that way for a long time. Almost like circuses the a 10 move. You we just went from airport to airport. But, huh. um, there are a lot of places that you can stay. You can camp there. They'll let you camp for free. You just hang up a hammock between a couple rafters and. You know, wake up in the morning, you jump as many times as you can, you knock out the training, and it's all basically just weather-dependent after that. So, so, you get a lot of good weather in Florida year-round. So,
0: How long uh, in-between jumps does it take to uh, be ready for another one?
1: So, when you're a student in training, to get your license, you only have to pack one parachute. Um, I don't even know if they make you jump that parachute anymore. It doesn't even matter. Parachute pack jobs aren't. It's unless you're jumping, it's like it's all a secret. Like it's you're you're taking this big blanket and packing it into a bag and throwing it into the wind and terminal velocity. Like all kinds of crazy chaotic shit is happening. Um, some some basic processes have to make a, pa- a parachute work properly. Um, huh. But yeah, learning to pack is one. You need a minimum of 25 jumps to have an a license so that you can sport parachute jump whenever you want to uh the AFF ground course to learn to jump on your own is seven jumps you do the first three with two instructors they hang on to each side of you as you leave the plane then you switch down to one instructor then you start exiting the plane on your own that person will chase you out and kind of stick through you with the free fall generally your your eighth jump into training will be your first solo jump and then it's uh, a little like basically checklist and get this training card where you have to perform a certain amount of freefall fall maneuvers and canopy maneuvers and an instructor will watch you perform these canopy maneuvers and landing at a certain distance of a chosen mark. And um, you get signed off on your A license after like 25 jumps. And then you become a really dangerous person because then you can go jump with other people <laughs> that are licensed huh. skydivers that also are very poorly trained and uh, don't have enough experience, you know? And so like, I, I would say your first hundred jumps are, are pretty, pretty exciting, man. Cause you're learning, you know, and, um, when you're learning you're a little bit more dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, I, yeah. I almost killed a few people when I first started, man. And, um, I will say it's, it's one of the most humbling things I've ever gotten into because it gives you this, like such an elated, you know, feeling. And we call people that are on super cocky and skydiving sky gods. Like you can get a sky god syndrome sometimes. Like, you're so good, nothing's ever going to happen to you. You feel on top of the world, and, and then, you know, smash into a parked car in front of a bunch of people. Yeah, I was going to ask if you've after, ever had so. any
0: uh, close calls.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've almost killed myself, Um, I would say, at least 10 times in, in about 550 jumps. And um, I've had other people almost kill me probably about 10 times as well in different situations. I was jumping a like an experimental parachute for a while that I shouldn't have had and um, it ripped my arm out of the socket about 4,000 feet above the ground. Oh, and Jesus. I tried to tried to use um, both of my arms just I didn't realize that I had dislocated my shoulder. I thought I tore my deltoid or something. But um, <clears throat> I um. Uh, I practiced breaking up, up high in the air, Practiced turning, make sure I could control my parachute for landing and uh, everything felt good. But I think I was really hopped up on adrenaline right after the injury. Like I knew something was wrong. I got super hyper aware and hyper focused on uh, making sure that I could fly this thing to the ground safely enough. And I decided to keep that parachute and I probably should have cut it away and flew the reserve in would have been a lot, a little more forgiving. And this parachute I was jumping was, was very sporty. So I was fast and small. Gotcha. uh, So practice up high, I could use my brakes, and it was probably about another two or three minutes until I got to the ground, and I had, like, lost my strength in that time. And um, when I went to put the brakes on, I I couldn't flex my left arm down all the way, and you have to keep your brakes even or you'll turn into the ground and you'll dive into the ground. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no,
0: I get get what you uh, mean. I imagine that now.
1: Yeah, so I'm trying to keep the brakes even, and I couldn't get my left arm to go down anymore, and I was trying not to turn right, so I could only get so much of the brakes out, which kind of actually probably planed me out and sped me up horizontally before I hit the ground. Um, so I ended up like skipping like a stone. I hit like three or four different times and ended up on, on my ha- on my knees. With, I, had a, I had a big-ass Canon camera on a helmet on my head. I was shooting videos for tandems at the time. And um, I've had, like, unicorn this camera into the fucking dirt. Oh. Stuck in the dirt. And I haven't I actually tried to shut my camera off. Did so, it break? I knew it. No, no, it all survived. Oh, that's, that's good. Stuff. That's good. But um, body broke. All the equipment was good. <laughs> mm. That's but, pretty um, cool, man. Yeah, it's all right. That shit changed my life. though. My shoulder is destroyed. I've dislocated it now, like probably close to 200 times I've had surgery that accident ended my skydiving career um, really Damn. yeah i managed to drop zone for a few years after that packed packed a lot more parachutes i made a few more jumps but um honestly man it, it kind of gave me this like second <laughs> this like a reiteration of why i left the marine corps you know i love the marine corps it was exciting i had a lot of fun but once I, you know, got like a, a close brush with death, and I didn't feel the same way about it anymore. So when I got, got back to jumping, it didn't have the same value to me anymore. I, I had already jumped five hundred times. I knew what it was like to skydive, and I didn't have that discovery element to it anymore. And I didn't feel like I was on an adventure anymore. I felt like I was. Doing, I feel like I was driving my car, like I was doing something I had done before to go do something like go on a scenic drive. It's not going to be that exciting, you know. If So if I go on a scenic drive on the overseas highway, I drive this road all the time. I'll be able to appreciate it a little bit, but it's kind of becoming, it's more routine than it is like an adventure for me. And I think skydiving had become that and it had become so much about business to me and making money that a lot of the joy from it was gone and i can appreciate the beauty of nature and stuff but i don't think the risk of skydiving was worth it anymore to me i could mm. get that same appreciation climbing a mountain or like riding my bicycle or running or just like hiking up to a waterfall and hanging out for a while or bodyboarding at the beach or just sitting there staring at turtles and stuff you know it was, i felt like I, I learned that there's just as much value in that stuff in life as there is being extreme and jumping out of an airplane or mm. wanting to be in a gunfight or something, you know, is that like, yeah, that's a thing, but that's really not what it's all cracked up to be.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, for sure.
1: You need you need to be happy and have balance in your life. I think I was attacking all kinds of stuff so much in my life and I still, still do it sometimes, you know, that, you know, it's all or nothing. Like I'm going to join the Marine Corps. I'm going to be a rifleman. I'm going to be a grunt. I want to go to recon. I'm to jump out of planes. i want to do this. And I'm like, okay, if I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to skydive, like that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to jump all the time. You know, I focused years and years of my life on the only thing I cared about was like falling out of the sky, and um, that skill is applicable nowhere else in my life. And when I wasn't able to do it anymore, I got super depressed for like six months, which is really funny. Is that I sat basically like in a house in Texas for like three months, and then like in a house in California for like three months, just like in the dark no lights on in the house, Just didn't hang out with anybody, didn't talk to anybody, thought, like, my whole life was over. Now, I think, like, man, I could have taken that six months and went, like, hiked another trail. Like, that would have been a lot more fun.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, no, that definitely, that definitely could be, like, pretty crushing, though. It's, like, your one thing that, you know, you get, it's, like, your go-to, and then yeah, you can't do it anymore.
1: That, I think that happens, though, I think, for us that marine the marine corps is that one thing for us at some point we get out and we're kind of like i think a lot of people feel like they're never going to top that you know it's kind of like almost like the high school football captain syndrome or some shit never yeah, yeah i've like never understood
0: that corps. but like i understand like the concept of it and how uh people feel about the marine corps but yeah no i definitely i definitely get that
1: yeah for me i'm just I really appreciate my time in the Marine Corps. Me too. And I yeah. think I think the Marine Corps a lot of people say it is is like what you make of it, you know. Like you can go in there and have a real fucking bad time if you want. Yeah. Um, no. Nah. You can you watch other people the Marine Corps makes them incredible people, you know, and they and they don't allow the bad parts of the Marine Corps to affect their life, you know. And I I think those are the people that if you're in, you should emulate. You know, you should Yeah figure i I Absolutely. knew some of those people and had better mentors than me. I had great mentors, my squad leader for my first deployment was um he was nominated or he was given marine of the year for the entire base in June. and um I remember like I thought felt like I was unlucky to be in his squad because he was he was a fucking hard ass and um, then later being like, man, the fact that I got to train with this guy um, called goody um the fact that I got to train with Goody was really fucking awesome, man. Like, he showed me that, like, he's this tiny little dude, man. And he was a fucking, he's the biggest dog in the yard, man. He didn't care. He was fearless. And he was just like, I I'll fight the biggest guy here just, like, just to keep my respect. I don't care. I'll lose my rank, whatever. Blah, 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 blah. It was just like that kind of, but he wasn't starting shit. He was a fucking leader, but he wasn't going to be like talked down to either by people. He would prove himself. There was actions, you know. He would tell you that he would do it, and then he would do it. And it was like, that's that's how people should be, man. He was such a fucking badass. And I felt really lucky to like be in somebody's squad. After a while, like, man, this guy just got Marine of the Year for our entire base. It's like hundred thousand people or something, you know, like it's yeah, it's nuts. It's a lot. And to yeah, to be recognized like that and then to be like, wow, now you get to think that like this guy who's been hard on you basically just gave you the recipe, like showed you this is what it takes to like be the best. And it's really not that much more than um you have to do anyway, especially in the Marine Corps, you know? Yeah. Twenty pull twenty pull ups isn't a lot. People treat twenty pull ups on the PFT like it's fucking crazy. I watched a guy that's like forty-five years old do forty of them. Um, our first sergeant got, like got called out on a, on a PFT for by some out of shape sergeant who couldn't do three pull ups, and um, it's like, oh, I only counted nineteen for sergeant. And you could tell this guy like looked at him with this look on his face, like you want to play games with me, you know? <laughs> and he just did he just did twenty more strict pull ups, didn't even get off the bar. So he did 40 in everybody's face. And there wasn't another Marine out there that could do forty pull-ups, probably.
0: That's insane. And this
1: guy was the first sergeant of the company. And so like, as just like through pure action, he didn't have to say anything. He was like, Don't forget who's in charge. And then yeah. I'll crush all of you. And that I am the example. Like, you can you young bucks can't even do one thing better than me that I can do all day. And it was just like he just showed you in your face, and like, dude, people hung their heads. You know, they just like <laughs> looked away, like they could they couldn't finish watching what he just did to everybody. And I was just like, that's a fucking leader right there. And yeah. that was a huge difference. And <clears throat> back to those deployments, yeah. <laughs> the difference, the difference between the leadership in my first and second deployment, man, was night and day. And so, like, I got to see a lot of great leaders on the first one. It was a little more dynamic on the first one, um, and a little less terrifying. And then the second one was a little less dynamic and a little more terrifying. It was, definitely had more of a like psychological element to it. And people were trying to kidnap us in Fallujah. They weren't actually trying to fight us, and that was a uh, that was unexpected. You know, damn, yeah, that's actually crazy. Well, you're
0: just trying to straight up just snatch people into like a van or something, or,
1: uh, no. Sneakier. So, we were finding bags that were staged um outside the bases with like grappling hooks, and chloroform, duct tape, zip ties—basically, like a you know somebody going to detain somebody. And um <clears throat> yeah, then I just I can wrap up these deployments real quick. The the first woman I felt like we were like out in the country. It's like we were like fighting Iraqi rednecks. That's not too politically incorrect to say.
0: No, nah, like you can say vote. whatever the fuck you want. I don't give a fuck. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like these rural people, um, and I think most of them weren't really from Iraq. They were coming from other places, maybe from other places in the country or from other countries, and then coming there to try to fight Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, there's they got a lot of people with IEDs. Um, the previous unit that we relieved, I think, was one seven. I could be wrong. Um. Might have been... I can't can't say. Um, But they were absolutely terrified when we showed up. They had lost like seven guys to snipers, like a bunch of people to IEDs and trucks on foot. Like they were getting fucked up on a regular basis. And um, uh, my buddy, the first patrol that he went on, a guy stepped on an IED. You know, just while we're trying to do the left seat, right seat with the unit. And they had gotten so scared that they basically resorted to doing uh, mounted patrols at night only. And they would go out and try to find these where these people were hiding and like, snatch them up. And they weren't really doing a good job. And we came in, and my pl- platoon sergeant picked the road that they told us was the deadliest road in the whole city. Never walk down this road, never drive down this road. You're guaranteed to lose people, they'll die. That was the first patrol that they took us on. And we walked straight up and down that fucking road out in front of everybody in the city. Nobody did anything. And then we went into, like, on-foot patrol night raids for, like, three months. And then we would stand post all day and, like, watch the city. We'd send out some short, short-range patrols from the FOB just trying to check out the local area, like, meet the market people and stuff. But then we would just do these night raids. We'd take all the intel we had, we'd raid all these houses, wrap these people up. And, like, we kind of made a change in the city, like, really quick. And, like, we wrapped up a bunch of potential bad guys, got them out of there, got them through questioning. Guys that we wrapped up um, that we shouldn't have wrapped up, we turned them into Iraqi police officers. We, like, started a training school, um, gave them trucks, gave them police stations. They started doing operations with us. After a while, they had their own checkpoints and stuff in the city everywhere that were, like, in front of our checkpoints. So, Like, we had a little added layer of security that we were working with. We were able to kind of work with and vet these people a little bit easier. We basically then built fobs. We would have our fob, and we'd build their fob right next to our fob. And so, like, when we left, there's still going to be a fob sitting there with Iraqi police, hopefully. Hmm. Okay. And then we did that. We did a lot of um, sweeping operations along the Euphrates River, um, looking for IED and weapons caches and groups of people that were... Running from us, and they would, and they knew the ROEs. If they didn't shoot at us, nothing would happen. So sometimes we'd go through like an insurgent field town, they'd be all over the rooftops with fucking dragon offs and stuff, and just, just nothing that you could do. We would never have a gunfight, nothing would ever happen. Just wander around and then leave. They're allowed yeah. to carry guns. And so it was, it was strange sometimes, and a lot of the engagements we did get into were uh, just very just a lot of pop shots you know they they take an opportunity we might fire a few rounds back or something and um a lot of times we didn't most of the time we didn't um it wasn't worth it they'd fire a burst at you and that would be it you know they just kind of like keep on moseying along and go look for those people a lot of times from so far away we wouldn't be able to like close the distance and get them and a lot of people that would do like drive-by shootings in cars they'd shoot from a car push one off a berm, run up over here, run up over there, do some silly stuff. We've been in engagements for, like, you know, the same people have been engaged by three different squads, you know, as they drive down the road shooting at everybody that they can find. And it's a lot of, a lot of rebel stuff. And the second time we went over, it's, we were, like, these guys are a lot more ninja-like. There was planting, like, IEDs that were a lot better engineered, a lot better hidden, Um you know we had a had a few casualties to that stuff pipe bombs and pressure plate ieds um and then we had you know we lost a guy to straight up infiltration um the guy came in came into the base and shot him inside of the post um, jesus yeah and uh we had you know thermal cameras and stuff where we could see that people were sneaking not only into our bases but other bases some people were sneaking into headquarters fobs and walking out unscathed. they were like had a video of some guy like walking around one of the company commanders and first sergeants, and they were like hiding behind a box or some shit and ended up crawling back out of the base and leaving, and nobody ever even detected him so holy like, shit All right, so then yeah, that was kind of weird. They watched it. people have like get immediate sleep disorders after that shit like people would wake up in the night it'd be pitch black and they you just hear somebody be like hello hello is anyone here you know (laughs) you'd be like yeah bro yeah it's cool what the fuck you know so like people they started to you know the situation i'm not gonna go into full detail about it but it was like it was a fucking crazy situation the way that it all played out they tried to improve our living situation and it kind of deteriorated our security at the same time. And, mm. um, I hate to say it, but we're very, very lucky that we only lost one Marine that night because it could have very easily been a lot. Yeah.
0: Of more, yeah. yeah. That is, uh, that's crazy.
1: I also feel like the, like we had observed these people sneaking into our bases several times and, um, we had tried to put missions together to either kill or capture these people and we were denied every time and it was just like we we were allowed to go sit in these dummy bases that they were sneaking into that were built just like ours and try to capture them but they were watching us so if we went over there and waited for them they wouldn't come in and we kind of discovered seeing their footprints and stuff that they were basically using the dummy bases we had in between our bases on a military traffic only road to, um, run dry runs and training, just like we would, you know? And I was like, these, no these guys way. are like, well, these I mean, are- you guys made a replica, training. right? Well, the, the thing was, is that we had these fobs that these engineers built down this military traffic only road. Um, but because it's efficient, they built them all exactly the same, but we didn't, we didn't man all of them because we really didn't have the manpower. So like every other one was empty. And yeah, we started sure. to notice that these guys were sneaking into these bases in the middle of the night. And then they were leaving. And we were like, what are they doing? Are they trying to plant IEDs if we go in there? So we went in looking. And by looking at the footprints on the ground where they were walking around in the base, they were like, it looked like they were sticking to certain walls and corners to hold security for each other. as They were tactically moving into this, practicing and that they you would we me and my friends saw that they had done these moves multiple times they had walked back and forth in these same patterns multiple times we're like they're running dry runs bro and that was kind of like man we would do this with tape houses all kinds of stuff like they're fucking practicing and our base is built exactly the same and it's fucking one kilometer it's a stone's throw from this place you know and it might have even been closer than that so and there were some abandoned buildings around across this road so these guys could like Go get into those buildings, and once they were in this little area, they could, you know, escape and evade, and we couldn't see where they went. And to close that distance over an open desert, people would see us coming. So we'd chase these guys around for a while, but never, never really got a chance to get them. Our our relieving unit apparently gunned down a team of guys trying to infiltrate the same base with a two forty, like just mowed them down straight, in, straight in front of the window. Oh, pretty crazy. That's what we were told. Um, Maybe yeah. make everybody feel better or something. I don't know. But, <laughs> yeah, that, that that one incident kind of was um, what made me decide to get out of the Marine Corps. Like, I, I thought about it a lot after that, but I just kind of realized that, like, man, like, I told people that I felt like at some point I had two enemies, you know? I had to worry about my chain of command getting me killed, and I had to worry about whoever was out here wandering around trying to kill me you know i'm sure they weren't going to kidnap us for tea parties
2: it was yeah. going to
1: have something to do with a camera and getting beheaded or some kind of ransom you know so
0: right yeah that's Definitely. pretty serious
1: and when you're sitting there you know observing this stuff and you know this has become the story out of the afghan withdrawal as well is that you know they watched these people that they had intelligence on that were had the intent to harm them and they weren't allowed to do anything about it uh, yep. led, it leads to casualties, and there's no accountability, and that that was kind of the end of my Marine Corps experience. And I was offered a reenlistment bonuses, packages to go back over and get to go to reconnaissance school and stuff, and there was just like no amount of money that you could have waved in my face to like make me forget what I had just been through, you know? Right. And, uh, I think there's what that shit fucked me up for a long time. And I didn't realize that it was a a common story
0: mm. common in the way that um in what way
1: common in the in the way for veterans that have deployed overseas that there are many veterans that have a a very similar version of my story of uh the guy's um story from h k a the you know, a lot of other Marines, you know, the if you've watched the Patrick Tillman story, you know, it's like they they try to turn this guy's story into this big heroic battle and it was just a fuck up, you know? And it's like I think a lot of these tragedies are probably fuck ups, you know, and we yeah. watch these really great people get stuck in these really shitty situations by really stupid people that are incapable um you know maybe they just had an easier route through college you know became an officer this that and the other but as far as checking all the boxes you know there's there's better leaders out there you know i think pat tillman's a a a great a great story that's a fucking terrible tragedy of, of the strength of his family to come out and tell the truth that you know he was killed by friendly fire yeah it's that's insane. It as a promotional tool, you know? Yeah. Have you have you seen that documentary that Tillman's? Um,
0: I haven't seen the documentary, but I have uh, uh just growing up, and I've I've heard of the story, so I'm I'm familiar with it. But yeah, no, it's uh definitely really really bad.
1: Yeah, and you got all kinds of like, you know, I've um I've listened to uh this guy Andy Andy Stump. He's a, um, previously where's the Navy SEAL, and um the parachutist as well. He's done some wingsuit records and stuff. And he talked about doing the the rescue for, I believe it was Jessica Lynch, it's this army chick that like got kidnapped or whatever. Yeah, that was Back yeah, and that was her name. Into this, like, oh, they fucked in the Navy SEALs went in and did this in the like, hospital. Tactical assault, yeah, and they they recovered her. And he was basically like. We basically walked in, and there was, like two Iraqi doctors like caring for her, and it's like nobody else in there, and there was no real threat. We didn't get into a gunfight, we just like picked this chick up, and then you're watching it on the news like, successful military Navy SEAL super raid takes place. Mm. You know, huh. <laughs> epic battle ensued. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of like, and they're going to make this poor girl was kidnapped. I'm like, what really fucking happened, man? I'm like, I, th- I think it's very disturbing. And I feel like a lot of veterans, they get out, they lose that support system day one of being out of the service. You know, you're not allowed to drive back on the base and hang out with your friends if you want. And um, then you're stuck with trying to answer all these questions from all the stuff that has happened to you. And it's been so long. You haven't had time to process this information. And, you know, I think it causes problems for us that are just, they're unrelated. And it's hard for us to even recognize when you're having problems because it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, for you to be having an issue uh, about something that happened to you overseas or in the military or in whatever and now you're you know 10 years later in a completely different environment and you're experiencing some emotion that doesn't even make sense for the time and place that you're in and especially if you have to share that with people around you it doesn't make any sense to them at all you know
0: yeah no
1: what are you tripping out about like we're in starbucks right now you know maybe somebody said something that like triggered a memory and a thought that brought you back to a to a place or a train of thought that's really unhealthy and i find that happened to myself and that i have to like take a lot of time for myself personally to like process information alone you know like where i'm not gonna let my mood affect other people or i heard about this japanese art i think it's called like vicky or something and like when they come to a place they try not to disturb the energy of that place mm. They try to like come into it and accept it for what it is and not to disturb it or yeah, and just fill in there and stuff yeah yeah and just kind of like come in and feel it out and then become a part of it and i think many times in my life i've had trouble where i'm just like you know, I'm I'm mad about a lot of things that people don't even know about me. You know, some of the things that I was just talking about, and I'm dealing with that in my everyday life. While I'm also dealing with like little stressors of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I have to I have to like suit little kids up to go on snorkel and dive boats every day. So like just asking a kid what size shoe they wear, sometimes like you know when I ask them the tenth time, I just want to like grab them and shake them. <laughs> like
0: right.
2: <laughs>
1: and and really i'm just like i could just grab some pins that i know that are probably going to fit your foot and just give them to you tell you to try them on you know and like uh, go Kick different rocks, ways, kid
2: but, trade yeah, with right, your buddy
1: but, yeah but we, exactly we have a very marine corps mentality and it's kind of like yo i just said something to you how about a fucking response you know, like, <laughs> you know it's like just some little antisocial kid you know and it's like yeah. like, like i think for us since we've been trained and um since we've had an intense experience like that, it sticks with you for life in a lot of ways and you kinda tend to carry those habits and emotions with you. And I think they can either really frustrate you about the world or they can kinda like you can make light of it in the same way. So like, yeah, not that is part of your service and your sacrifices that not everybody has to go what you've been through. And that's like your gift to society. And you should be able to recognize that when people can't see the world from your eyes, they don't have your experiences, you should feel fortunate that you do.
0: Yeah. No, yeah, that's, very, uh, that's a very really good way of looking at it.
1: And you, you learn a lot, dude, especially in the Marine Corps. man. I have a lot of respect for the Marines, Army Rangers, the SEALs, um, Army Special Forces guys, you know, like I think those dudes are probably some of the most badass, most professional people in the world. I've gotten to... Meet a lot of retired old dudes and good friends of the old retired Green Beret that checks up on me like once a week at least. He's, <laughs> he's super super cool guy and he's you know survived stage four cancer. He doesn't have a long time to live and he's hey man what's up how are you you need any help what can I do for you what you up to you know he came out from an ultra last year like all through the middle of the night you know just driving his camper up and down the road go warrior go. <laughs> <laughs> They're just awesome. That's I think sick. It's, good, <laughs> it's good to sur- surround your people surround yourself with people like that, you know, yeah. know that. There's there's a lot of people that still carry that mindset with them and that's, you know they've been through a lot of shit too and go through it every day. That guy I just told you about dude he's got one of the craziest fucking stories I've ever heard and I'm not going to divulge his personal information but like absolute fucking badass. Had to leave um Service literally like one year before he retired, you know, just had a had had enough. His his bottle had become full and, mm. and overflowed. So
0: yeah, that's crazy. though just uh, all that time. Even uh, even though just like fin- even finishing a year short of it, still it's like nineteen years. It's insane.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, that's you know. You think about that, and then Carlos Carlos Hathcock, what he served like eighteen and a half years or some shit like that, and the Marine Corps kicked him out with no benefits.
0: Yeah, and still, it's still but, talked about to this day.
1: Yeah, the White Feather, greatest Marine. Like, yeah. To fuck him.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy how we get treated. It's pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> it is what it is.
1: Yeah, everything that I've done fundraising the bike trip all that stuff i like i laugh about it sometimes i'm like guys man if i just took the money that i was going to use to do these adventures and donated it to the organization we'd have more money to help veterans because like i spend more of my personal money doing the adventures than we raise and i'm just kind of like oh that was going to work out a little better <laughs> <laughs> but um it doesn't, like, unmotivate me in any way. I I just think it's kind of comical because you see how many people get help around the country. You watch grants grow to, go to so many places. I've, I've worked in biological science through colleges, and I've watched so much grant money go through projects that, that – Bear zero fruit they might actually do more damage to the environment <laughs> oh <laughs> shit it's like a, a hundreds of thousands of dollars be thrown at these things and the people that are in charge of these programs know that nothing really is going to come of it you might train some more people to be aware of what's what's happening underwater but we're not having an effective change really scientifically or even working towards one because there's too many people's money at play to be messed with to start changing these kinds of rules and stuff yeah. Sea corals and sea fans and sea turtles right uh, so i just think i think it's odd for me it, it can be depressing sometimes to think that like being a veteran knowing veterans knowing that there's people out there who have done so much more than i have have been through so much more than i have and have less help than i do or um, less able to seek that help or have less knowledge and and it's sad that it's it's so hard for veterans to find help and that uh, you you'd, you'd kind of think that maybe we'd be a, a little bit of a priority and um i know the va and um disability and stuff does help people a lot um but i i feel like actual care is uh is what people need and hopefully um, that's that's what's gonna happen with us we've We've heard that a lot of money is being allocated to veterans' affairs so that people can do outdoor therapy and i'm I'm personally against pharmaceutical drugs um and things like that. I'm not going to take pills for um p t s d or sleep disorders or anxiety or anything whatever anybody would want to label me with anyway, I don't think the fix is pills. Um, I understand chemical imbalances for some people and stuff, but I also think there's other ways to affect the chemicals inside of your body. Like I went through my skydiving accident. I lost adrenaline and dopamine and serotonin every day from skydiving. And that sent me into a depression and I sat around and I was depressed and I could have taken, you know, Xanax or Zoloft or whatever I don't know if those are the right drugs for you know mommy's happy pills or whatever to make myself feel better but the real cure was just to go out and start doing other things that the end of skydiving isn't the end of the world it's just skydiving I've already done a bunch of it you know still suck at guitar I could practice that Um, go out and do cool shit you know I think that's that's, that's what's really important to keep people going, then. And it's, I've, I've lost several of my friends to suicide from the Marine Corps. I think it's really sad. Um, a lot of them were really, really good people and strong people. And I think they found themselves in a momentary lapse of judgment and weakness and did something stupid that you can't take back. Um, I think the world is a worse place for it. So I'd like to, I'd like to see those things change. And see people have an easier and better time, and I think it's a good thing to keep those people in the world. They're valuable people.
0: Yeah, me too. That's why. Uh, that's why every time I talk to anybody, I always uh, ask them about their transition and just what's helped them, and uh, just talking about like the mental health side of it because uh, we don't talk about it enough, honestly. Yeah. So, it's um, a lot of shit yeah
1: hurts.
0: Yeah, it's couple definitely a uh,
1: couple having accidents a lot of brutality on the old back
0: yeah on marine corps too like yeah you put your yeah. back through it
1: <laughs> yeah man Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah but um hey man i really want to thank you for uh giving me your time here we've been talking for i think like two two and a half hours maybe two hours now yeah. um but it's uh yeah, dude. It's been really interesting talking to you and just hearing your story and stuff.
1: Yeah, man, I appreciate you um letting me come on and share it, man. Yeah. All man. What it's worth it. It's it's not a lot, but um yeah, I'm gotten, gotten my fair share of the Marine Corps. Um um, you know, for me I'm, I did my four years, I took my college money and I ran and I've I've been doing a lot of adventures since and um trying to trying to figure out my own life story, my own purpose. And I'm really happy to be able to work with, with this nonprofit. So Veteran outdoor Alliance, better and outdoor org. So website, you can find it on Instagram. I think I do a little bit of Facebooky stuff too sometimes, but um, I'm, I'm working on getting people trained up and diving and free diving and stuff, especially people that like live in South Florida. So If you know those people, your friends, anybody that's interested, somebody that's having a hard time, like, point them in our direction and we'll do what we can do to help them. If you know people with deep pockets that want to help veterans, point them our direction man, have have them donate. And anybody that can help us fundraise or make money, we want to work with you and get you involved so you can use that money in a way that you see fit, you know. So, And that's kind of what we're doing now is putting – trying to put a chapter together in every state where people can do events and have more local areas where veterans that are having trouble, we can get them somewhere where they can go do something with somebody. So like if, you know, veterans that are already doing outdoor things or running outdoor kind of companies, like we want to get involved with them and, um, just build that big network and branch out, let people work under our 501 C three uh raise money and help as many people as we can and i think if we keep doing that the more people that we can work with will then be um opted into this kind of grant money kind of world where we can hopefully build an organization um that's based around having a healthy community for veterans man, and living a healthier lifestyle
0: yeah yeah no i definitely uh i definitely hope to see uh see it grow and turn into uh turn into all that it'll definitely be uh interesting to follow it and uh, see where it goes
1: yeah if you want to come down and learn to dive whatever man
0: yeah man i might take you up on that honestly because uh, this summer uh i got time so i might uh, i might yeah. take a trip down
1: it's uh right now i'm planning on doing training so i'm gonna do um this bike ride i'm gonna do a 100 mile bike ride and then i'm gonna do the 100 mile run and uh, that's going to be to raise money to do the dive training um, this summer. We're going to plan to do that like Independence Day weekend somewhere around July 4th. I think the actual dates will work out like the first, second, and third mm. uh, for training for that weekend. So I'd like to get out there and get people that can get that time free. And then, you know, however we can help people uh, get it done, we'll do that. And then, uh, I, I basically work. At a dive resort so we have a place for people to stay i have um, a army airborne veteran that lives down the road that has like a massive piece of property and some some places for people to stay he's like volunteered that to us and everything as well so however we can work it out with people man you know we'll do we'll do it we'll find a place for you to stay or crash or park your camper put a tent or get you a hotel room and you know try to carpool with people you know, we got some a couple people from Fort Lauderdale. They're gonna come. and They're just gonna drive down together for the weekend. So like, that kind of stuff helps out a lot. Works out.
0: Yeah, that's all super awesome, man. Well, uh, everybody, uh, everybody's got your your information. I was gonna ask you that too. So that's good that uh, you mentioned all that. Um, but uh, yeah. Thanks so much again, man. And uh, yeah, hope uh, everybody has a good rest of their day.
2: Catch you guys next time.
1: Appreciate it, man.